You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Please open your Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's such an important thing to do right now, especially in where we are in God's Word as much as ever. This whole message today is again on the Word of God. Uh, to all those who are watching online, bless you and pray the Lord specifically meets you where you are. God help us today, lead us today, fill us today. In many ways, this message today is part two of our message last week. Just because, remember, um, in the original inspiration of Scripture, the chapter divisions are not inspired, right? This is one consecutive letter. This is Paul writing to Timothy. There weren't, Timothy didn't see chapter 1 and chapter 2, 3, and 4. Just one part went to the next. And so we see from, in our version, the end of chapter 3 again flows, of course, just right into the beginning of chapter 4. Last week... In our incredibly important message from God's Word, we learned about the necessity of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture, of the Bible, of the Word of God. And today this flows so naturally into the authority of God's Word. The authority of God's Word. Our sermon title is this, uh, There is no higher authority. It's very important as we seek to feel the weight of what Paul is delivering to Timothy and therefore us as well. The Holy Spirit today communicating the weight, again, of what we are receiving from God's word. Um, In many ways, um, our passage now um, reaches the climax of this letter. This is Paul mustering the greatest charge uh, he can with the weight of, again, God's words given to him for Timothy. And what Paul does here now is he appeals to the absolute, listen carefully, he appeals to the absolute authority of, God's, of, of God, and then he, this leads to the absolute authority of God's word. So Paul appeals to the authority, the absolute authority of God, and then this leads to the absolute authority of God's word. So we're going to jump right in here. We have a lot to get through today. This is incredibly important. And so let's go to point number one. When it comes to the authority of God's word, we receive this, a sobering charge. When it comes to the authority of God's word, which is what our message is on today, we receive a sobering charge. Look at, look at verse one, chapter four, 2 Timothy chapter four, verse one. It says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Let's just stop there for a second. Now again, chapter 3 going right into chapter 4. Notice the phrase, I charge you. That is also translated, I solemnly charge you. It's hard to overstate the force in the original, in the original Greek. When Paul says, I charge you, again, the force that he's bringing to young Timothy here, to put it plainly, uh, Paul's not wasting time and he's not mincing words. Uh, you can say in many ways what's happening right here is Paul is grabbing Timothy by the scruff of the neck. He's grabbing him because there's so much urgency here. He's like, Timothy, you've got to listen to what I'm saying to you. You've got to listen to me. Right? It's like someone you just so much want them to get, but this is of the highest importance. You grab them by the neck and you say, pay attention to me. This is so important. You have to hear what I'm saying. Don't fall asleep. Wake up. Listen carefully. That's what's happening here in verse 1. And notice what Paul does. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So this charge 
just went from the pen of Paul straight into the presence of God and the presence of Christ Jesus. This phrase right here in verse 1, this is why James says in his biblical epistle, he says, not many of you should be teachers. Why? For you will be judged with greater strictness. Paul states the truth here that those who handle the authority of God's word are under the authority of God himself. Just think about that. And so it's completely accurate to see verse 1 as in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, meaning this, Timothy, the father and son are watching how you handle his word. Like there... There isn't a higher level of seriousness or accountability or sobriety to know that the God of the universe is overseeing the stewardship of his word that he wrote and entrusted to his church. Timothy, your ultimate accountability is the Lord. He is watching. And if that wasn't enough, the charge continues. Look at verse 1 who is to judge the living and the dead. So be sure of this, ready church? Be sure of this. Man is not judge. Humanity is not judge. Government officials are not judge. No human being again is going to be judged. Who's it? Jesus is judge because Jesus holds the authority, listen, he holds the authority to grant access to heaven or to be separated from God forever in hell. Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead. I mean, again, Paul's words here, just, they're, they're so sobering but the charge is still not done yet. He's like, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And look again, he says this, and by his appearing and his kingdom. This is such a good reminder, church. Listen, Jesus Christ is coming back. Hallelujah, he's coming back. He will appear. Jesus will return. And listen, he's coming back with his full and complete kingdom with him. What a day that's going to be. I'm telling you, like, we spend so much time fearing man. This is not the time to fear man. This is the time, again, to fear the Lord. Jesus Christ is returning again with himself and his kingdom. And loved ones, remember, remember, the moment he appears, listen, listen, so important, all those watching at home, the moment he appears, every single temporal concern vanishes in an instant. Whatever anxieties you hold right now that create fear within you, whatever temporal anxieties you have within you that cause you distractions, the moment Jesus Christ returns, they are vanished in a millisecond. Vanished. By the appearing and his kingdom. The moment he returns, listen, the moment he returns, your smartphone falls from your hand. Praise the Lord for that, eh? The moment he returns, your Facebook status, who cares? Who cares? It doesn't mean anything anymore. The moment he returns, vacation's canceled. Praise God for that. It doesn't matter anymore. All of that stuff is fluff. The only thing that matters is where you stand before the coming Savior of the world and his kingdom. Look at verse 1 and the extent and the weight and the seriousness of the charge at hand. Whatever follows from verse 1 
how do you overstate its seriousness? Whatever comes after verse one, how can you begin to say that there's not a massive sense? Like whatever comes after verse one, like if I'm Timothy, I am like, I am glued to this letter. I am anticipating whatever follows is massive. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Wait for it, wait for it. Here it is. Preach the word. Number two is this. Point number two is this. An unapologetic call. That's what follows this charge. Church, look. Brothers and sisters in Christ, look. Everyone at home, look. Feel it. The importance, the primacy, the supremacy of preaching, of holding to the authority of God's word. Notice verse two, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You know, it's so interesting, at the end of chapter 3 and verse 17, right? All scripture breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And notice now, the every good work, the strongest application to every good work of the man being fueled by the word of God is in chapter 4, verse 2. It's the preaching of the word of God. The greatest work we can do as the church is the furthering of the gospel through the word of God, for that is how people are saved. That's just our context. That's chapter 3 into chapter 4. Preach the word. The, the word preach, it means to herald. It means to announce. It means to proclaim. We've been teaching this for so many years. It's like the town crier that comes in and says, Hear ye, hear ye. And he begins to speak for the town who will stop and listen to what he says. Listen, the message he has isn't always the one he wants to say. The message he has isn't always the one that people want to hear. But the message he has is the one he's been entrusted with. And he is responsible for preaching and declaring that which he's been given to be a steward over. Preach the word, be ready. Just brings urgency, doesn't it? Like the, like, like the context, how do you preach this dispassionately? How do you let this kind of go through the motions? I mean, this is life and death. So I've always loved the quote by George Whitfield, one of the best preachers, like most fruitful preachers ever. I said this, it's like Jesus, and then obviously there's a big drop from him. And there's like Paul and like George Whitfield. You know, it's kind of like, kind of like that. That's how fruitful he was, okay? He said this, I love those who thunder out the word. The Christian world is in a deep sleep. Nothing but a loud shout can awaken them out of it. You can imagine how much I love that quote, eh? I mean, but it's so true, isn't it? It's so true. So many people sleeping. So many people sleeping to their death. That's why I also love the story of George Whitfield. He says this, Once in a New Jersey meeting house, Whitfield noticed an old man settling down for his accustomed sermon time nap. Whitfield began his sermon quietly without disturbing the gentleman's slumbers. But then in a measured, deliberate words, he said, if I had come to speak to you in my own name, you might rest your elbows upon your knees and your heads on your hands and go to sleep. He says, but I have come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he clapped his hands and stamped his foot. I must and I will be heard. And the old man woke up startled. And Pastor Robbie said, amen. That is so good. 
That is so good. I love that, right? Because what he gets it, he understands. This is not a time to fall asleep. And look back at verse 2. Notice what's next. The command to preach and be ready. That's so key. That imperative. Timothy, be ready. Be prepared. You've got to be prepared. It's one of the great themes of 2 Timothy as we've learned. Be ready what? Be ready in season. Be ready out of season. Again, alertness and urgency. Why? Because the test is coming. It's easy to preach when everyone's in favor of it. It's easy to preach when the culture gathers around and says, yes, that's awesome. It's a whole different story when you're called to preach and the culture doesn't gather, they flee. In fact, they may not just flee, they attack that which you're preaching. And you're left there standing by yourself, holding God's word. And at that point, you decide, man, who do I trust in the Lord or everyone seemingly against me that's around me? This is what Paul's saying to Timothy. Timothy, you've got to be ready. There's going to be times, man, where it's in season. But there's going to be times when it's out of season. And you must be ready to reprove and rebuke and exhort. Again, exhort. And you know why this is such an important thing? Again, the authority of God's word is everything because the entire Christian life flows from the contents of this book. Sam Storm's on the screen for you. He said it this way. Listen carefully. The nature and functional influence of biblical authority is the watershed issue for Christianity as a whole. Why? The nature of Christian living is grounded upon and flows out of a belief that what God has revealed in the written word is binding on the consciences of all Christians and gives shape to their behavior on every issue. See, so biblical authority is everything because we can't live our lives apart from the message of God's word and everything we seek to be or do comes from the authority of God's word. If you lose the authority of preaching God's word, again, you lose everything. Hence the charge, hence the call to preach the word, to reprove the mind, to rebuke the heart, to exhort the soul. With complete patience and teaching. This is the need for urgency in the unapologetic call to preach the word. We have a sobering charge. We have an unapologetic call. And point number three is this. We have an expectation now of rejection. An expectation of rejection. Look at verse three now. For the time is coming, Timothy, all people here right now, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itch, itching ears, itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, notice the result here, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So once again here, Paul's preparing Timothy for reality. Notice, notice, the Bible church, the Bible laying out the expectations that we are going to face as time goes on. And the expectations here are rejection will come to those who hold so close and tightly to the word of God in Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 3, the opposition is specifically to sound doctrine. I have a footnote in my Bible beside the word sound. Do you have a footnote in yours? 
And the footnote in my Bible says, or healthy doctrine. It's fascinating to me, notice this, I think this is good insight. The number one reason people reject healthy doctrine is because that doctrine reveals that they are unhealthy. So people don't like healthy doctrine because it's the healthy doctrine that shows and exposes the sin in their lives that they don't want to change or they don't want to give up. So they turn away from truth. They gather teachers that will scratch their ears to appease their conscience, to soothe their sin, to endorse their life. That's what the Bible's telling us. It's so clear. And because the truth of God's word says we are accountable to God in our sin and we must need forgiveness of God and our lives change to be like Jesus Christ, well, that actually requires repentance, humility, contrition, and sober-mindedness. Our world doesn't want that. And so with itching ears, come come on, come on, itch my ear. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me the things that make my life uh, not convicted. No conviction. Again, appease my conscience. Suit their own passions, the text says there. They gather teachers to suit their own lustful, idolatrous passions. This is when the unchanging, life-changing word of God is not enough. Let's find a teacher again who strokes our sin. This is why Dick Lucas, he said this. This is such an important quote. He says, the pew cannot control the pulpit. Look at that, look at that. The pew cannot control the pulpit. Why? We cannot deliver demand-land preaching because at the end of the day, no one demands the gospel. No human being on their own without the Holy Spirit will demand a gospel that demands that they must confess their sins for forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that they may be set free from bondage and live everlasting life in Jesus. No one by themselves will want that to happen. This is why the pew cannot control the pulpit. The pulpit must control the pew, not the pastor. The authority of God's word is that which controls the church and the authority of those who are in it. That's what's so key. This this is what Paul is preparing Timothy for. And then look at the result, though, of when you have people accumulating their own teachers to sue their sin. Look at verse 4. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and then wander off into myths, right? So that makes so much sense. This is why the truth is so needed. This is happening all over the place right now. When you remove the authority of God's word, when the authority of God's word is diminished, that this is the way walk in it, when that is no longer here, commence the wandering. It's inevitable, right? If you lose the path of God and the authority and the clear, again, path to what honors him, if that is gone, you're left to your own devices, all you can do is wander. You will wander away from truth and you will wander off into myths. You will make up your own versions of what you want to believe and that's what the Bible is calling myths here. And that always, always leads to destruction because it's away from Jesus Christ and his truth. If you've been around this church any amount of time, you've heard me say many times this statement, if God is not our authority, if God's word is not our authority, listen, then something else is. All of us derive authority from someone or somewhere. Every single one of us. Every human being. 
We are following someone, something. We take our authority from somewhere. If it's not the word of God, then it's something else. Think about that for a second. And what our culture has done is removed the authority of God and his word and replaced it now and replaced it with the worship of self. I listened to uh, what I consider to be a very, very important podcast by Pastor John Piper this past week, and I want to read some of it to you in detail right now. This was a, a podcast that he gave on um, his unpacking explanation of right now um, what is called critical race theory. And I really encourage you to listen to this podcast this week to get the fuller context, and I can't go into the whole thing here today, but I do want to give some very important elements of what I think is very, very critical to our text today on the authority of God's word. So I want to put the first part of this quote up here. I'm going to read this slowly because I want us to get it. He says this, here is my answer and my deepest problem with critical race theory, and here's the context, in response to the statement that we cannot be anti-racist if we are homophobic or transphobic. Homophobic, transphobic there, they're saying what that means is people who hold to the orthodox of biblical um, God's word on human sexuality. They're calling that homophobic or transphobic. John Piper's saying here, he's like, wait, wait, wait. How do you get from the one to the other? How do you group all those things together if you hold to God's word? How did that happen? He goes on to explain here. Again, listening to the whole podcast will give you the greater context. I will do my best here though. Listen, he says this. They arrive at this conclusion because at root they believe a person's essential identity is self-chosen, self-constructed, not God-designed or God-given. Or another way to say it would be that when it comes to our own identity, we are our own God. We do not acknowledge or submit to any divine truth or morality above us, which would constrain or limit our own self-definition or self-construction. This is very, very important right now. He says this, When God is out of the picture, what's left to determine right and wrong? And what our true identity is, is personal autonomy. That's, that's so key today. Self-definition and self-determination. So he says, if you reject such personal autonomy as the final arbiter of right and wrong, then within the framework of God evicting critical race theory, the only explanation left for your behavior is your own will to power. Therefore, if you reveal your rejection of human autonomy, self-determination, self-definition in regards to homosexual behavior or attempts at sex change, you show yourself guilty of governing all your relationships by a will to power rather than a respect for autonomy. And he ends the section with this, which again is so key. For those are the only two options in a theory where God and his word are not supreme. That is incredibly important and clear thinking in the world we live in right now. It comes down to this. If this is not our authority, something else is. And in our day right now, 
self-autonomy and self-worship has replaced the authority of God's word. And therefore, we decide how we are to live, and there is no framework of truth if we reject this altogether. And that is why things have become so difficult. Again, when God's word is not our authority, something else will take its place. This is the battle of the day. Let me ask you a question. What's your authority? Like right now, what is your authority? Where does your authority come from? It's one of the most important questions you'll answer, that I'll answer. Where's our authority? Who's it coming from? Where's it coming from? How's it coming to us? The only one answer for those truly alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, he, Jesus Christ, his book must be our authority for this is the authority and the truth that leads to everlasting life and the true love of God to be known that we might be saved in him. This is why the truth is everything because loved ones, if we lose the truth, then we lose everything. If there's no truth, it's just a free-for-all. Whatever you feel like, whatever you want to do, whatever, and then the whole, the whole thing self-destructs. That's why this passage is right here, right now. That's why the, the clarity of God's word, we're feeling it as we preach it right now. We feel it. We know it's true. And it's so critical. When it comes to the authority of God's word, again, it's amazing when you were kind of being described here about a group of people who don't want to hear God's truth in verses 3 and 4. But here's my question. What about when you have a group of people who do want to hear God's truth? What happens when you have a group of people, men, women, and children, who do want to know what's true and do want to pursue Jesus Christ together? Well, then you have a group of people that are absolutely beautiful and so special. A group of people that will walk together in difficulty and persecution, but will walk together into glory to see Jesus Christ face to face. I believe that's the group of people we have here at Hope Bible Church. Special, special group of people who are willing to walk together in cost, are willing to walk and live together, and are willing to die together if that's what is necessary in order that we may live in the Lord Jesus Christ and experience glory forever. That's the call for joy. That's the call for faith. That's the call for love. That's the call to say, if we're not following Jesus Christ, then why bother? Again, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where else can we go? You hold the words of eternal life. And you show me a group of people like that, I'm in. It's going to be tough. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be bumps, man. It's going to be narrow. It's going to be awesome. It won't be a popularity winning contest, but it'll be the love and blessing and the favor and the holy presence of God with us as we go. I'm telling you, this is such a key time. This is such a key time for men, women, and children to decide again what it is they truly believe and who it is they truly want to follow. This is what Paul's saying to Timothy, what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. And I want you to see that the starting point for all of this comes down to the authority of the Word of God. And if we choose to go with the Lord as opposed to the world around us. God help us. God lead us. God fill us. God encourage us. It really are exciting times. It's going to be hard. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. God's going to be saving a lot of people. And I pray we're there to see it and to pray for it and to give him praise and glory as he does it. So again, 
When it comes to the authority of God's word, we receive a sobering charge, an unapologetic call, an expectation of rejection, and then fourthly and finally this, a call for personal endurance. A call for personal endurance. Look at verse 5 now. Notice again in verse 5. But as for you, Timothy, he says this again in God's word. He does this all the time in this letter. He, he, he points out the negative of the culture or the opponents or false teachers. Then he turns to Timothy and says, but as for you, young man, you're different. But as for you, you have the Holy Spirit. But as for you, you love Christ. But as for you, you are following the truth. But as for you, he says here, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. And I love this. Fulfill your ministry. Man, as for you. I think of the young Timothys in the room right now. So easy to follow the world. It's the easiest thing to do is get sucked in with the world. But the faith and courage it requires to follow Christ in this world. But as for you, young Timothys, the courage and faith God give us to prepare ourselves for what is to come. Hey, listen, this just in the Bible teaches and tells us, if you're going to follow Christ, like right now, especially in this nation, you're going to follow Christ, be prepared for mocking, laughing, scorning, if not worse. Be prepared for that. But at the same time, be prepared. If you're going to follow Christ, be prepared for everlasting glory with Christ. You see, you take the, the mocking and the scorning and the, and the ill treatment now and you trade that for eternity with Jesus Christ in the presence of his glory and beauty with no sin or death or any kind of negativity or any hate or violence. You take that, man. You trade that for that any day. That's the call of faith in the Christian life. This is what's needed so much, amen. All of us right now, young and old, the clarity to see our, our ministries fulfilled as we are being asked. God, help us by your strength and grace. And notice how he unpacks this now. But as for you, verse 5, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. You know that literally means free of intoxicants. Here it's focused on thinking and seeing clearly. Right, So the sober-mindedness, you're able to see what's true and what's not. Able to see what's of value and what's not. You're able to, to, to see, and when you hear the information, you see why I live and what I don't live for. You know what's false. You know what's real and true. Like For example, like this season, and again, I'm glad I thought of this in the first service today or whatever, but you're watching a commercial from Walmart. And Walmart says, they have, and they say, joy begins here. And I'm like, Say, what? And I'm just like, uh, no. Uh, kids, that is a lie. That is a lie, okay? At the end of the day, ultimately, misery begins with consumerism and self-destruction will begin with anyone pursuing to get more and more and more stuff. Jesus tells us that. What happens if you gain the whole world? You forfeit your soul. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Joy does not begin at Walmart. Can I get an amen, all right? And by the way, and by the way, by the way, if anyone works at all at Walmart, okay, no offense, no emails, please, okay, whatever, right? I'm not discounting your job. I'm just saying that message is not true. Someone told me after the first Thursday, too, that I think the Starbucks sleeve right now says, uh, what does it say? Oh, it says um, 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 something about coffee and tidings of coffee and joy. I think that's it. Tidings of coffee and joy. Eh, okay, like, no, no, I'm sorry. I like coffee as much as the next person, but sorry, Starbucks. Get in line, man. Jesus is way ahead, all right? Not even close. Again, sober-minded. Why do I live? What am I living for? Can I tell what's true and what's not? Next, he says this. Again, endure suffering. 
Again, he says that. Endure suffering, endurance in the Christian life. How do you overstate it? Let me say this too, church. The call of our lives to endure the difficult, to persevere through trial, to endure suffering in this context, that will be the difference between fervency for Christ and apathy away from Christ. It will be the difference between fruitfulness for Christ and fruitlessness apart from Christ. Suffering is always the thing that kind of sifts every, everything out. It takes out the, the wheat and the weeds. It removes those who are true and those who are false. It's when things get hard. I mean, Jesus tells us in the parable of the sower, in two different ways he describes that the persecution or the cares of the world take away that seed and it's gone. But it's those who are willing to walk with Christ, especially when it gets tough, to endure suffering. It's a call for endurance. He says in verse 5, and do the work of an evangelist. This is not a call just for evangelists. This is a call for all of us to be this. Um, do the work. The work speaks to the, to the difficulty of that, the struggle, but also the reward. The struggle of, of, of working as an evangelist and to be an evangelist, but the reward that is given through hard work and trusting God in that. And then finally this. He says, fulfill your ministry. I just, I just love that. Fulfill your ministry, church. Every single one of us alive in Jesus Christ, we have been given a ministry in Jesus. Mine might be obvious right now standing here. Listen, do not let that discount. You all have a ministry in the Lord Jesus Christ if you are saved and alive and born again in him. You have a ministry. God has granted you a ministry by his Holy Spirit. In some ways it can be small, some ways it can be big. We all have a ministry in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the command here is again, listen, the call for endurance that we might fulfill our ministry in the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, fulfill your ministry. Man today, woman today, children today, fulfill your ministry. What a goal, what a blessing. The moment Jesus Christ returns again, all that we'll care about is that. What have we done with what God's entrusted to us? It's so exciting. It's so exciting. So you see this passage and you see the charge and you see the call and you see the opposition and you see the endurance. And you're like, if you're like me, you're like, I want to do that. I want to do that, Lord. But sometimes you feel so weak. Sometimes you feel like you're so unable. Sometimes you feel so discouraged. And sometimes you feel so inadequate. And sometimes you feel so just tempted with sin around you and the attacks of Satan. And you're just like, how is this possible? How do you become a man or woman who receives the charge and responds to the call and fights through opposition and rejection and ultimately endures to the end because those will be saved who do. How do you do that? One word. Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.1 For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power, love, and self-control. 2 Timothy 1, 7. It's the grace that Jesus Christ provides. This is, so, so, so we need Jesus to see this happen. And that is why then, loved ones, again, today we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is a remembrance of Christ Jesus who did everything for us, that he now lives in us, that he might be seen through us. Think of it this way. What greater example of our outline today 
than Jesus Christ. After all, it was Jesus Christ that he received the charge from his Father to come to earth, to take on flesh, to live a perfect life, to die a horrible death for our sake. He received that charge. Even to the point when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he said, Father, is there any other way? Can you take this cup from me? But nevertheless, not, not my will, but yours be done. He took the charge to the end from his Father. Jesus received the call to preach the word. He came to preach the word, to set the captives free, to see the blind receive sight, and for the lame again to be healed, to release those from bondage who are in prison. Jesus Christ came to preach the gospel with his words, and ultimately with his life he preached the gospel. He is the very gospel, laying down his life for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ, he endured more rejection than you and I could ever imagine. He was despised, and we esteemed him not, Isaiah 53. He was falsely accused. He was hated. He was spit upon. He was mocked. He was tortured. He was ultimately crucified, again, with this horrible, hours-long death experience that he endured that rejection for the sake and the love, again, of humanity. And all this led to the Lord Jesus Christ, who, again, endured such hostility, despising the shame, Hebrews 12 that he might give life to all those who look to him and trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins and everlasting life. I'm telling you, man, like the only way we see this happen is we look to Jesus more and more and more. That's why we do the Baptist Confession of Faith today because it's an incredible articulation of Jesus Christ and who he is. It's why we preach the word today because it all points to Jesus Christ. It's why we remember the Lord's Supper today because everything comes down to Jesus Christ. He is that good, he is that awesome, he is that beautiful, he is that special. You and I have no chance apart from him. And everything in his word points us to him. So the Lord's Supper today, it's a massive deal. We remember the sins that he has forgiven, all our sins. We remember the sacrifice of his life for ours. We remember all that he's done. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask us to prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads Um, We're going to come out now and we're going to be prepared with a song. I'm going to invite you that you can open up your communion cup as the song is played. That's probably the best time to do that, to prepare yourself to be able to take that. So as the song is played, you can do that. Let Let me just pray for us too. Father, the Lord's Supper is for those alive in Jesus Christ. It is not for those who don't believe in you. It's not for those who have rejected you, Lord. It's not for those who are not living for you. It's for those who are alive in Jesus. And it becomes so beautiful and so special and so profound. So I pray, Lord, you will lead your church now in these such important days. May this be such a special moment of reverence and beauty and joy as we remember the death of our Savior, as we remember the love of our Savior, as we remember the joy that is found in our Savior through all you've done. So yes, Lord, lead your church, stir our hearts. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.